you're comfortably able, would you remain standing to honor God's word? It comes to us from Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Some of you have heard of the true story about a man named Charles Blondin. He became famous in the summer of 1859. He, he, he walked 160 feet above Niagara Falls on a tightrope several times back and forth between Canada and the United States. Huge crowds looked on in shock and in awe. One time he crossed on that tightrope in a, in a sack. Once he crossed on stilts. Another time he crossed on a bicycle. Once he even carried a stove and he cooked an omelet on the tightrope. True story. On July 15th, Blondine walked backward across the tightrope to Canada and returned with a wheelbarrow pushing a wheelbarrow. The crowds who were watching this oohed and awed. They were amazed. I mean, he had proven he could do all of this. To that, there was no doubt. They had watched it. They'd seen it with their eyes. And it was said that he asked his audience at that point, do you believe that I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? Of course, the crowd shouted, yes, we believe, we believe. They wanted to see it. We believe. It was then that Blondine posed the question, okay, who will get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> you can guess how many volunteered. Let us pray. O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable now in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're in that portion of Romans where we are talking about this critically important idea, this concept, this, this doctrinal truth called justification by faith. We talked about it last week, and this week we're going to touch on it next week. We, we talked last week about the, the, this phrase. Sometimes we, we throw this phrase around, justified by faith. But do we really know what they mean? I mean, what are we really saying when we say we are justified by faith? Do we know what that means? Reminds me of the two psychiatrists who passed each other walking down the street one day. One of them said, good morning. And the other said to himself, I wonder what he means by that. <laughs> Justification by grace through faith. What do we mean by that? What, is we, what are we really saying? Paul now turns in Romans chapter 4 uh, to this wonderful concept, he introduces us to the Old Testament character named Abraham. And when it comes to faith, Abraham is Paul's exhibit A. Now, of course, every good Jewish person knew Abraham was the one to whom God had said centuries before, go, leave your homeland, trust me, go. And out of the blue, no less, this just came, this, this 
calling from God to move and leave your people, leave your land. And sure enough, Abraham picked up everything, packed up everything. He owned, hit the road, even though he had no idea where the road would take him. And God called, invited, Abraham answered. Now Abraham was quite old when God promised him and his postmenopausal wife Sarah not only that they would have a son someday, but eventually a whole nation of descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky. God promised. Abraham believed. For Paul's purposes, this is a model for us about what faith is and what it looks like. Abraham's faith. I want to ask three questions this morning about justification by faith. What is it? Who is it for? And how do we receive it? First, what is this faith, this justification? And the first most important thing we can say about it is it is a gift. We do not earn it. It is a free gift. It's, it's like an invitation that we didn't deserve. You mean I get invited? You mean I get to be a part of this? And it comes to us. Abraham did nothing to warrant this. He's an ordinary man. He's quite elderly. He had no spectacular life of obedience or righteousness. God invited. He said, Abraham, I have this story I want you to be a part of. I want you to be a part of this. Paul's telling us that Abraham didn't do anything to win God's favor. God initiated. Now, I know, I know Paul says in verse 4, I, I know that some of you think Abraham was justified by his good works, that he must have been this morally right person for God to take notice. That his obedience to impress God so much, and, and then God rewarded him. But Paul says, but I'm telling you that Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham was made right with God through faith, not works. I, I know, I know, Paul says, and, and in verse 9 he answers this, I know some of you think Abraham was justified by circumcision, by the physical mark on his body. That's the reason he got invited. Because he was a part of this. But how could that be? Circumcision didn't come into existence until 25 years later. And only then as a sign or a seal of what had already happened. The righteousness that they'd already received by, from God by faith. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. I know, I know Paul says in verse 13. I know some of you think Abraham was justified by the law. But how could that be? The law came much later, 432 years later. What good was that to Abraham? You can't look at the law and say, well, look at what a good moral law-abiding citizen. The law hadn't even been presented yet. You know, how many of us, when we really get down to it, have a really hard time understanding this idea of God's free gift and initiation, invitation that comes prior? If we're really honest, we all slip back into this feeling that I must do something to trigger that. I, I must live a certain way for God to take notice. I must be, and what we're really saying is, I actually need to hold on to some measure of control. I, if I act this way, I can dictate how God will respond, what God will do. I will be able to make his favor. And Paul's saying, stop it. It doesn't work that way. God's love is wild and free. And it comes, and it's presented, and it's an invitation. But I'd like to set the boundaries on who is in and who is out, we often think. 
I want to see the progress I'm making in this this adventure. This this faith thing so easily becomes a, not a look at what God is doing, but look at what I am doing. Notice me. Notice me. But the story we are given here is a God story. It's actually not an Abraham story. What we read in scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. That's what justification by faith is. It's trusting in God to make things right. It's entering into his story, what he does, what he's doing and what he's promised to do. And Abraham is a model because he did just that. Second, we might ask the question, well, who is this justification being made right with God? Who is it actually for? In Paul's day, the rabbis and the Pharisees were setting up all kinds of boundaries to say, who receives this gift of God? Who gets invited to participate? And they had all kinds of boundary markers like circumcision. Well, you must be circumcised. You're, You're out of God's favor. Ceremonial washing was another popular one. It certainly was wrapped up into race and culture. These are the insiders. They are the outsiders. So what Paul is sharing here is pretty radical. It's pretty astounding. He's saying we're all descendants of Abraham, and thus we can all get in on this justification. God has chosen all of us. God has invited us. And we have proof because... There is circumcision, but Abraham wasn't circumcised, and God invited him. Circumcision's okay, it's good. But look what God did to invite those before it, and now he's inviting people after it who aren't a part of that community. You realize, of course, that what Paul is saying here goes against everything the rabbis taught, thought about Abraham. As far as they were concerned, Paul couldn't have been more radical, more offensive, because Paul is saying that Abraham's relationship with God was based on faith alone. There's nothing else. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to be from a certain people or heritage or tribe. Paul is saying that Abraham had as as much or more in common with the Gentiles as he did with the Jews. This is a pretty big radical statement to make. Paul is saying that Abraham was the great, great granddaddy of all who simply believe in God and trust him. He's the prototype of what Christian faith is supposed to be. As far as Paul is concerned, the rabbis were missing the whole point. But I wonder if we don't miss it as well. We keep falling back into this way of thinking that there must be insiders, there must be outsiders. And when we do that, we are trying to control God and we are limiting His grace Do we ever fall into this trap, Presbyterians? Hmm. I heard the story once of a a woman who came to a very traditional Presbyterian service. She was a visitor. It was a very traditional liturgy, and she sat in the back, and early on in the service she was exhibiting behavior that wasn't normal Presbyterian behavior. She would shout, Amen! She would raise her hands, and she would say, Glory, Hallelujah! And this went on and on, and then... When the preacher was preaching, there was a lot of amens, amen, glory, hallelujah. This is a, everyone was feeling uncomfortable. 
And there was an elder standing in the back in the narthex, and he went up to her and he said, um, excuse me, what are you doing? She said, well, I got the Spirit. I got the Holy Spirit. And he leaned down and said, well, you didn't get it here. This insider-outsider thing would never affect us Presbyterians. But do we not, all of us, Jew, Gentile, Presbyterian, Baptist, we keep falling back onto the same way of thinking over and over. We have to be checked on this all the time because it's hard to believe that God's love and grace is that big, that wonderful. And if I can say who's in and out, I'm controlling God and I'm pointing out, God, you got to understand this about me and about them. Third, how do we receive this justification? This invitation that comes to each and every one of us, how do we receive it? How does it live in our lives and move us and shape us? It's by believing in God and trusting in him. what it is. It's by believing in God and trusting in Him. It's an easy thing to say. And sometimes we say this and we throw this around. Well, I, I like to think that I believe in God. Well, I'm a part of a church. I, I believe in God. I, 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 it's easy to say I have faith in Him. I trust in Him. But if we really are honest, trust and faith are some pretty deep commitments. It's not just feeling or mental assent, it's actually trusting, putting that into practice. Now theologians have spent so much time and energy writing about justification by faith, and they have done amazing work. It's such a big topic to get your arms around, what God is doing in relationship to you and me and to human beings. And and I, I've read a lot of the theologians trying to address this, and a lot of it is super helpful. But the older I get, the more I personally feel that some of the artists and poets are helping me understand this better. I love the story after Aslan is resurrected, he defeats the White Witch, and he's killed by the White Wish. And then, you know, the lion, the Christ figure in Narnia, is, he's resurrected. And Susan and Lucy, the children, are there. And there's this great scene. He, he roars. And then Aslan says, um, we have a long journey to go to these two young girls. We have a long journey to go. You must ride on me. And he crouched down. And the children climbed onto his warm golden back. And Susan sat first, holding on tightly to his mane. And Lucy sat behind, holding on tightly to Susan. And with a great heave, he rose underneath them and then shot off faster than any horse could go downhill. And into the thick of the forest, that ride was perhaps the most wonderful thing that had happened to them in Narnia. Think about that. These two young girls riding on this lion, this great lion in, in wonderful fashion through Narnia with all the joy of him being resurrected and they thought he was dead and now they get to, to ride on him and we have a long way to go so you must go with me. Lewis says think of the think and then the take away that you think of that and take away the heavy noise of the hooves and the jingle of the of the bits and imagine instead an almost noiseless padding of the great paws. 
And then imagine instead of black or gray or, che or chestnut, the back of the horse, the soft rust, roughness of golden fur, he said. And the mane flying back and forth in the wind. And then imagine you're going about as twice as fast as the fastest racehorse. But this is a mount that doesn't need to be guided and never grows tired, he said. It's this beautiful picture of going through life. How are we going to go through this long journey of life? Well, there's an invitation. You must ride on me. I imagine this scene, and I imagine how it could have played out. I mean, Susan could have said, well, you know, Aslan, I thank you for this invitation. That's great. Uh, but, you know, um, my, my sister and I, we actually inherited a great sum of money. We have a large stock portfolio, and we need to manage that somehow. You know, we need to have Internet access and be able to watch that, and it's actually something that we're quite worried about. And so um, could you tell us, could we manage that while we go on this ride? And we... we really need to make sure that before we agree to go on this ride that that's safe and secure. That we'll be able to do what we need to do with that. Because that's really important to us. You know, Lucy could have said, Aslan, before we go on this ride, we want to make sure, um, just as a little sensitive, Aslan, but we, we, we're welcome to go. We're ready to go. But we want to make sure that you're not going to also invite those kind of people. Um, let's all agree right now before this ride that they're not, they're outside of your, no, we don't want those kind to come with us, right? Susan could have said, you know, Aslan, thanks for the offer, but we have to take care, we want to build and raise our family first. And, you know, we have important family matters to take care of, and that's kind of our thing, and maybe someday, but right now, we're not at the stage of life to accept this offer. Lucy could have said, you know, Aslan, I love this idea. Good idea. Thanks for the invitation. But um, before we make a decision, we, we are people who kind of need to have all the information and knowledge before we agree. We're going to read all the, the uh, trip reports, and we're going to go on TripAdvisor, and we're going to check out other means of transportation first before we agree. Here's the point. A gracious invitation was given. But let us be clear, they were not in control. They could not dictate the terms. And by the way, neither was Abraham. God says, I have an invitation for you, Abraham. Go. You're going to need to trust me. You're going to need to trust me. And by the way, along that journey for Abraham, there were points where he didn't trust. And he said, I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands because I don't see God doing enough here. And when he did, it didn't go well. It didn't go well. I imagine Lucy and Susan riding on Aslan's back and and, and all kinds of things would have happened maybe on that journey. Maybe at one point Aslan stops and says, we're going to make a stop here because I see some poor people and we're all going to dismount. We're going to care for them. We're going to give them great care. Maybe on that journey on Aslan's back, they, he, he took them through some scary avenues, dark places. They wouldn't have prescribed it that way. Let's stay in the green grass and the fields and, and the beach. Why are you taking us through here? Jesus told Peter later on, you will be led to places you'd rather not go. Tolkien said this, faithless 
is he that says farewell when the road darkens. Faith, being justified, being in the process of being justified by God means letting our lives be shaped and molded by him. Being so caught up in his story that we lose sight of our own. Being preoccupied with what God has done, what God is currently doing, and what he's promised to do. So much so that our lives begin to fade in the background. So much so that circumstances and what God brings into our story matters so much less because his story is the one that matters. He's driving. He's in control. We get caught up, immersed. So our lives become this testimony to where we say over and over again, notice him, not me. Later in August of 1859, Blondine's friend and manager, Harry Colcord, rode on Blondine's back across Niagara Falls. On August 17th, Colcord was strapped to Blondine's back and the pair set off across the tightrope. And as they reached the halfway point, the most dangerous section of the rope, Blondine said to his friend, Harry, you now are no longer Colcord. You are Blondine. Until I clear this place, be a part of me. Mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we both shall go down to death. And Harry trusted his wiser, more experienced friend. And carefully, the great Blondine continued to walk along until, at long last, the pair reached the other side safe and sound. And Jesus comes to us and says, are you ready to go with me? Do you believe? You're going to need to attune your life to my life. If I sway this way, you sway this way. You're going to need to not take all matters into your own hands. You're going to need to trust me. I know what's right and I know what's good and I know what's best for you. He is initiated. He's invited. And he has also justified us, made us right with God. And our job. Our opportunity is to go along for the ride. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, we thank you for Jesus, who in joy-filled, wonderful ways invites us to be a part of your unfolding drama. We thank you that he came for us and for our salvation. Help us to trust.